Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with David's advice to Solomon as we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Now, the days of David drew near when he was going to die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Now, here's father to son, and in his typical fatherly advice, Show yourself a man, son. Be strong. Show yourself a man. David coming to the end of the road. Now, it is interesting to me that David's later years were spent in a feeble physical condition, a man who must have been in tremendous physical shape in his prime. He talks about, by the Lord, I have run through a troop. I have leaped over a wall. And and you see the rugged country that David fled from Saul, the wilderness of Ziph and down En Gedi and uh, some of this rugged area. You know that the guy had to be in top physical shape. But yet in the later years, stricken and now about to die, God doesn't give us immunity from death. God doesn't give us immunity from feebleness, perhaps, before death. This business of every child of God ought to live prosperous life and and healthy lives isn't, it doesn't follow in the Scriptures. Here is David, a man after God's own heart, stricken in his older years, and now ready to die. Others, are healthy up until death, but it, it really, you know, it, it isn't fair, it isn't right to say, well, brother, if you just believe God and think positively, you know, you could be healthy and, and you wouldn't have to suffer like this. Not so. There is no explanation why sometimes very godly people suffer. We don't know the reasons. And don't feel that a positive attitude is going to give you immunity from any suffering either. David's advice to Solomon was very good to begin with. But then it sort of lapsed into personal vengeance that David wanted Solomon to take. So typical of David had his capacities for extremely high spiritual characteristics, but then also had the capacity to be very human. I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that you do and whithersoever you turn yourself. So, good advice. Walk in the ways of the Lord. Keep 
his statutes, commandments, judgments, testimonies, in order that you may be prosperous. Now, earlier, David had written, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law does he meditate day and night. For he shall be like a tree planted by the river of water, bringing forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. When Moses was giving Joshua the charge, Moses said to Joshua much of what David said to Solomon in his command to Joshua that he might keep the commandments and ordinances and statutes of the Lord. For thus shalt thou make thy way prosperous. So the key to prosperity is obedience to the laws of God. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So excellent advice by David to his son. And David reminds him of God's conditional promise. But notice that it is a conditional promise. Now, there are those today, they call themselves British Israelites, and they proclaim that the king of England is actually a direct descendant of David because of it being the only, what they say, continuing monarchy, and God promised David that there would never cease one of his family from sitting upon the throne. And so a part of the tribes uh, migrated to England, and the Anglo-Saxon races are actually a part of the 10 lost tribes, and they seek to trace names, you know, uh, you know, so many Jacobs and so many uh, of the various Israelitish names on through to England and through Europe and so forth. And so their whole premise is that the 10 lost tribes are actually the Anglo-Saxon races today. But notice that God's promise to David is conditional. It is conditioned on if thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. But that is not an unconditional Promise that is a conditional promise, and David's descendants did not meet the conditions. And so the story that Jeremiah hid one of David's descendants and fled ultimately to England with him and all is just so much conjecture, and it does lack in real evidence and proof. The promise to David was conditional, but by the time Judah fell to the Babylonian Empire. They had so corrupted and turned from God that they had become as godless as the nations around them, worshiping in lasciviousness the other gods of the nations around them. So David had a conditional promise of God. His descendants did not walk before the Lord in truth, and thus there came an end Yet the promise to David is to be fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. For that everlasting kingdom that was promised to David is to be fulfilled when Christ comes, and he shall sit upon the throne of David to order it and to establish it in righteousness and in judgment from henceforth even forever. 
the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. So God will fulfill the promise, but it will be through Jesus Christ when he comes again to reign. Now David gets into the more David side of the whole thing. David was just like we are. He carried grudges and animosities and all. And so he now talks to him and he says, now this guy Joab, and he was a pain. And, and he gave me a lot of trouble. And he killed Abner and also Amasa. And he shouldn't have done that. Don't let his old gray head go down to the grave in peace. Take care of him. But do show kindness unto Barzilla and to his family because they came out and helped me at the time of Absalom's insurrection. But this guy Shimei, the Benjamite, you remember him who went along the hill cursing and, and throwing rocks. Don't let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. Don't hold him guiltless. You're a wise man. Now take care of him. So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years, seven, the first seven in Hebron, reigning over Judah, and then the last 33 in Jerusalem, reigning over all of Israel. And Solomon sat upon the throne of David his father, and the kingdom was established greatly. Now Adonijah came to Bathsheba, and he said, I want you to do a favor for me. Please don't say no. She said, well, what is it? And he said, I want you to go to your son Solomon because surely he won't refuse you anything and ask Solomon to give to me Abishag, David's concubine, that beautiful gal that was brought in at the end to be with David. And so Bathsheba came into Solomon and he said, oh, sit down here, mom. And he made a place for her sitting at his right hand. And, and she said, son, I want you to grant me a favor. And he said, you say whatever it is, mom. And she said, well, I want you to give Abishag unto Adonijah. And he said, oh, that guy Adonijah. Surely he has, you know, done this to his own hurt. He, he's going to be slain for this. You see... A part of the ascension to the throne was the receiving of the concubines of the previous ruler. Now, we mentioned this when Absalom came into Jerusalem and set up the tent on the roof of David's house and took the ten concubines that David had left to keep the house and all and went in unto them there on the roof. And, and that in a sense, is a mark of the ascension to the throne. David had even taken some of Saul's concubines when he came to the throne. So Solomon saw this as a desire of Adonijah still to take the kingdom. It's the way that he interpreted it. And, and so he, and he says, does he want the kingdom also? I mean, he's, he, he's upset over the request. So King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God, do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. 
Now, therefore, as the Lord liveth, which has established me and set me on the throne of David, my father, who made me a house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. And he sent Benaniah down to kill him, which he did. And then Abiathar, the other priest that had gone with Adonijah and conspired with him against, or, or to put Adonijah on the throne, Solomon banished him from serving in the priesthood. He just sent him off to the farm, put him out to pasture, and that was the end of him as far as any service to the priesthood was concerned. And thus God did fulfill, because Abiathar was a descendant of Eli, God did fulfill the word which he spoke concerning the house of Eli and, and the end of the priesthood. Uh, of the house of Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 31 to 35, where Eli's sons were so evil. Now, tidings then came to Joab that uh, Solomon is moving now uh, against uh, the rebellion of Adonijah, and he's, you know, Adonijah has been killed, and Abiathar has been sent out to the banished really from the capital city. So Joab ran in and grabbed hold of the horns on the altar. It was a, a position of, of real supplication unto God. You grab hold and you really cry out unto God, holding onto the horns of the altar. So Solomon ordered Benaniah to go out and to kill Joab for all of the innocent blood that he shed. And so he came and, and said, come out from the altar there. And Joab says, no way, I'm staying here, I'm hanging on. So he came back and he told Solomon, he said, I ordered him to come away from the altar. He's holding on to the horns of the altar and he said he won't leave. And he said, all right, his way, kill him right there. So he came in and slew him as he was holding on to the horns of the altar for the innocent blood and thus sort of a purging or a cleansing of the bloody uh, reign of David, which much of it, of course, could be laid at the feet of Joab. So Benaniah was made the head over the army, and Zadok became the ruling priest. Now this guy Shimei, that had cursed David, and David told Solomon, take care of him. He called him in, and he said, Look, you're to stay within the gates of Jerusalem. As long as you stay here and behave yourself, you'll be all right. But the day you leave the city of Jerusalem, you're taking your life in your own hands. Do you understand this? Shimei said, Yeah, I understand it. He said, Okay. So Shimei lived there in Jerusalem for a couple of years. But he had a couple of servants that ran off, and they went down to Gath, one of the Philistine cities. And he heard that the servants were there in Gath, and so he left the city of Jerusalem to go down and get his runaway servants. And it was told King Solomon, Shimei has left the city. So when he got back, he said, didn't you understand that you were to stay in the city? And if you left, that was it. 
And he said, surely you've brought the death sentence upon yourself. And so Shimei was also executed. Now Solomon begins the gathering of wives of which it seemed had no end. He made a affinity with the Pharaoh of Egypt and he took the Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. So he took first of all the Pharaoh's daughter as his wife and later on he built her a house there in Jerusalem. But he was wanting now to build a house for the Lord, the temple in Jerusalem, because the people sacrificed in those days just on the high places because there was no house built in the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in his, the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places, which was more or less copying after the pagans around them. So the king went to Gibeon, and there on the high place of Gibeon, he offered a thousand burnt offerings on an altar there. So had a great sacrifice unto God. Now, it must not be thought that these animals were just sacrificed and burned. On these great offerings like this, these were peace offerings or oftentimes as a peace offering, they were more or less celebrations almost where they were just great feasts. You're going to have a gigantic barbecue. But they would offer the animals, they would sacrifice the animals to the Lord. In other words, the idea was, Lord, we're, we're sacrificing these animals for you in acknowledgement that you are the giver of, of all of these good gifts and so forth. But then they would go ahead and roast the meat and they would all have a gigantic barbecue, big party, and everyone would eat of it. So they were times of feasting. And it is interesting, you remember, they were called feast days because they were times of great feasting. When you would come before the Lord, it was always a time of celebration and feasting uh, because God wanted the thought of, of worshiping him to be associated with, with joy and with happiness. I don't know where people got the idea that uh, worshiping God should be sad and mournful. It's tragic that the church went through a period of its history where the more somber and sober you looked, the more righteous you were thought to be. So all of the ministers were seeking to affect a, a very serious, somber appearance. And they, and they even developed voices with uh, just that uh, great, you know, kind of a, of a mournful, uh, like, you know, the more you could sound in a mournful tone, really the more spiritual and righteous you were. Hello, brother. <laughs> you know, and, and you're supposed to look real solemn and, 
and sober and all, you know, and, and that's supposed to mean that you're very righteous. And if you dare crack a smile, man, you've had it. They know that you've been, you know, not doing your job or something, you know, because uh, somehow they didn't relate worshiping the Lord with joy. And yet God wants us to relate the worship of him with joy, with thanksgiving, with, with party, if you please, with, with just uh, great rejoicing and happiness in, in the serving of God, for it should be a joyful, happy experience. Fellowshipping with God should be the greatest joy that a person can experience. And you should always go away from true fellowship with God with your soul lifted and your heart light and just rejoicing in the glory and the goodness of the Lord. So uh, Solomon offered a thousand sacrifices there. So there was the time of great feasting. And of course, you eat a lot of that lamb and you, you get sleepy. So he went to sleep. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 1 Kings on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 1 Kings 2 through 3 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless you and keep you steadfast in the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And may you experience each day more of his love, more of his spirit working in your life as you yield yourself to God. May you know that power through the Holy Spirit. And may God thus enable you to do his work and may Your life be blessed as you serve the Lord in the opportunities that he gives to you this week. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Undoubtedly, one of the most glaring signs that our society is in trouble is the breakdown of the family unit. Marriages just aren't making it today, and kids are suffering as they watch the breakup of their homes. Those marriages still holding together are often plagued by conflict and turmoil, making the home a battleground instead of a refuge. 
That's why The Word for Today would like to present Pastor Chuck Smith's Marriage and Family MP3, where Pastor Chuck discusses basic biblical principles to keep a family's love alive. Each member of the family has a different set of needs and responsibilities. And when you know and apply God's principles, everyone in the family can experience real peace, real joy, and an agape love. To order your copy of the Marriage and Family MP3 by Chuck Smith, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.